0: What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to Meet the Critters. This is episode thirty-seven. I'm Kyle. And I'm Joe. Man, it's we planned that well. We put yeah. a lot of time into that. This was about three minutes before we figured that out. <laughs> <laughs> um, we got a fun one. We got a we got a celebrity in here tonight. We have Nicole Sauce.
1: Hi! Come on, come on. I like just got board. elevated to celebrity status.
0: <laughs> we do. That's what we need. We need a soundboard with like applause and everything now. Yeah. <laughs> We're a little big time with the podcast. Nicole, what's going on?
1: Well, I just finished making dinner and you texted me in the middle of making dinner. I was like, oh yeah, I'm going live at seven. So I better eat that dinner. So normal Homestead stuff. <laughs> right.
0: I know we had a, we had a um, video chat like a week or two ago when we set this up and you're like, you need to text me a week before, you need to text me three days before, and then you need to text me about an hour before to make sure that we get this done.
1: (laughs) It's really hard for me to do weekend lives because I jump into my weekend and I'm really focused on household things a lot. And so when I do a live stream, which tend to be more Monday, Friday for me, that's on the weekend it has happened when somebody did not have my cell phone number that I totally missed it. And wow. then I came back and they were like 90, they were super nice about it, but they were like 90 emails. Where are you? I'm like, Oh, <laughs> I literally said yes this morning over coffee and missed this one. So thank you for the reminder.
0: Rachel's Rachel Brown's calling me out, Joe. <laughs> it was two minutes. Two minutes. Yeah. Right. So give us. Give we us planned it time. like
2: 30 seconds before we went on.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way. So, you
1: did, you did well, though.
0: Yeah, we figured it out. We're getting there. We're, we're a newer podcast. We'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. So, Nicole, tell us a little, little bit about you. Obviously, we know about you, but who's Nicole?
1: I'm Nicole Sauce from the Living Free in Tennessee podcast, which I started about seven years ago to share my journey homesteading, walking towards independence, which just for me meant taking control of my life and building it the way I want it to be, rather than the way like the newspapers, magazines, and mainstream media say it needs to be. And I, since that time, I've taken a coffee roasting business commercial, founded the Self-Reliance Festival, which you were at last fall. Mm -hmm. And developed a really cool community of people. Like I I can't really say I developed it, they developed themselves, but what has happened since making that decision is that we have a really cool group of neighbors who live all near each other that we call the Holler neighbors. And then we also have the wider community who are a bunch of doers. And if you've never hung out with a bunch of doers without energy vampires, it's a totally different experience. Than most of day to day life, and and in that way, they all empower each other to be better. So it's yeah. pretty cool. I'm I'm pretty pleased with where things have gone.
0: Oh, the energy at SRF is infectious. I had I had a 21 hour drive back home after SRF. It was awful because my head was just spinning of like, what am I doing next? Where is this going? When am I coming back? Like. <laughs> It was amazing. It's, you're absolutely right. Like being around all of those people that are like, no, we're getting, we're getting stuff done. Like we're doing it is like, oh yeah, I'm slacking. I'm slacking on everything. Like I'm lazy. (laughs) You walk away from it going.
1: You and me both. I feel that way sometimes when somebody comes up and they were at six months ago, they were at the festival and they come to the next one six months later. And they're like, since that time, you know. I've lost 180 pounds, and I've started a new business, and it's like six figures. And they'll tell me all this stuff they've done. I'm like, sweet, I just did another festival.
0: (laughs) Pip down here just says, you could see Kyle's gears turning at SRF. Yeah, it was that was an interesting, it was an amazing experience. Like, has honestly changed my life for sure, and we will be back. (laughs) Yeah, I can't wait to have you guys back. Talking
2: about it. Since he came back, like every time I talk to him, now it's weekly. He always brought, you gotta, you gotta come. You gotta come at least once. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's worth traveling for. We had people there from Hawaii last time.
0: That's awesome.
1: They brought me hats. It was really cool.
0: Well, it's like the cool thing about it is like me and Brian have talked about this from the Lots project of he was watching me last year and going, oh, you're doing what I did the year before. So now me going into my next year of it going, oh, I know exactly how I'm going to do this different and how we're like, this is awesome. And I'm excited to see Joe going through what I went through last year, (laughs) making connections, meeting people. Like, it's nuts. Like, I just compared it to a marathon. Like, I don't think we stopped once the entire festival. It was crazy.
1: Yeah, it just keeps going and going. I I sleep for days after it. I'm sure. Yep. So, but it's worth doing. I'm really excited about the one that's coming up April 6th and 7th. And we have a little bit of a health thing happening here. So I've, I've got a natural veterinarian. I haven't booked her yet, but natural remedy veterinarian, hopefully coming. We'll see. And then working with an herbalist and some other sort of alternative health folks. And somebody just turned me on to another health person, like prepper health guy. So it's it's more about, it's kind of, so of course we have Chuck Peoples doing right. the emergency medical and wound care stuff and, and, and ways to keep people alive if they're hurt. But we're looking more at prevention too, because one of the things that's, that works better if you're in a crisis situation is if you're fit and healthy and and not dependent on as many medications and you can do like if right now you're not fit and you're not healthy and you're dependent on a lot of medications in most cases you can make some changes in your life and get way closer to a better situation and we've just watched person after person transform after this event in, you know, both their financial health, but also their physical health. So I kind of realized that last one, it was time to, to bring up the herbal medicine. We've also got a women's self-defense wet workshop right before putting on, put on by uh, Sonny Bazookas, who's a pretty renowned trainer and he doesn't come at it from like fight like a boy. He says, fight like a girl, like use your girl benefits to take advantage of that and win. Because right. if you are being attacked, it doesn't matter if you fight fair. It matters that you win.
0: Yeah, for sure. Exactly.
1: I wish I could take that class. I'm like, man, <laughs> there's no way I could take this class the day before the festival starts.
0: But you're like, you're absolutely right though. Like being healthy is the main pillar of being prepared and being mm-hmm. like just good in life. Like if you're not healthy, your life's not going to be super fun. <laughs> If you're healthy, yeah, you're going to go through life a way easier. And it's like I think anyone who starts raising their own meat and raising their own like growing their own garden, raising their own livestock, that's in their brain of like, "Oh, these are way healthier. I know exactly where they came from. I saw them every single day of their life. And now I'm eating them and I feel better because of it. It's clean. It's not full of salt. It's not full of whatever." Like, no, this came from here. And I, you feel better physically and mentally because of it.
1: Yeah. And I think we end up with a, so this is going to get a little woo woo, but I think you have a spiritual connection with your food when you raise it. So that, you know, by the act of nurturing your animals and your plants, there's a, a give and take, like, you know, you develop a relationship with this right. animal that you're later going to shoot Mm -hmm. And that sounds sad, but at the same time, like that's way, but you're making sure they have as fast a death as they can, as calm a death as they can. And, and they're, they're, you know, they're, they're giving back to you in the form of nourishment. Same with plants. I, I've, I would like to find where I read this. I was reading once that plants can sense mineral deficiencies in you when you're tending them and they will mine those from the earth. So I, and I don't know, like I've gotten into a, like wild edible plants a lot and I'll be walking in the woods and I'll be like, what is that plant? What is that plant? And the third time I ask that question, I figure it out. And nine times out of 10, it's like, oh, I have a cold and that's good for a cold. Right. And that's just, you'll just start seeing different ones. So I, I think there's a big spiritual connection there and I, it goes with animals as well.
0: No, I, I, so I've actually been waiting to tell this story. I don't even think I told Joe, this story yet, but having that spirit spiritual connection with your animal, because it's, we get it all the time because we're butchers. So everyone just automatically thinks it's like, oh, you just kill shit for fun. Like you don't even care anymore. And it's like, yes, I am somewhat desensitized to it. It's easier because it's a job, but it's like, especially when you're raising these animals, like when you've fit, like in our case with the pigs, it's like when you farrowed an entire litter. And brought them to the point of slaughter. Those are I am as connected to those as you possibly can. Well, I was in um tractor supply the other day and I was talking to one of the cashiers because I know him. We were talking about the pigs and everything, and a guy was behind me at the self checkout and he goes, Oh, you have pigs? Like, are you selling any? And I was like, Well, what are you looking for? Are you looking for like cuts? Are you looking for half carcass? Are you looking for live animals? What are you looking for? And he goes, oh, well, I actually, um, I go down to Texas at my boss's property and we run dogs, we run hogs with dogs, which I'm not opposed to at all. Like we have plenty of hunters up here that run bear with dogs, stuff like that. And I'm like, okay. And he goes, oh, well, I can't bring those home. So I figured the next best thing was to help train up my dogs, was to just buy pigs around here and use them. Which there's a part of me that's like, I don't like, that's not an awful plan, like whatever, but you're not doing that with my pigs. And he just did not catch the hint that I was not the person to be talking to about this. And he's just like, Oh yeah, I heard it. Cause I was talking about the mangalitsas and I was like, yeah, I've heard those mangalitsas are like the best thing, like best comparison for what, like what I'm trying to do this, that and the other. And he's just digging his hole deeper and deeper and at this point I'm standing fairly close to him cause I'm pissed. <laughs> and I basically looked at him. I was like, well, you're not, ne- you'll, you'll never get any of my animals. And let me tell you this, you get more bees with sugar than like salt. Don't go into a conversation with a farmer whose life literally depends on these piglets and go, Oh, I'm going to feed them my pit bulls and watch them. I'm like, Yeah, no, man. Like, no self-respecting farmer is going to do that. I guarantee you're going to find someone who doesn't care and will sell you a bunch of runty piglets for 50 bucks. But you can't walk into somewhere and just come out with that. Because at the end of the day, we do have an amazing connection with these animals because their lives depend on us and vice versa. So yeah that, that story happened. I completely forgot about it until you said that and I was like, oh, this is a good this is a good point to bring this in. But yeah, the connection that producers have is huge. And if there isn't one, I almost don't trust you a bit.
2: Yeah, they're not they're definitely not uh, in it. all they're in it for is making money or some other weird thing for sure. I, I definitely agree like I have not, no problem with them running dogs on the wild pigs because they are a huge problem. Right. I get that, but I don't think I'd sell my piglets to, for training dogs. No. So, like, I would,
0: I would love to run hogs with uh, run hogs with dogs. That's on like one of my bucket lists to do. Yeah. Like, I think that'd be a cool thing to do. But at the same time, it's like,
2: no. I like, almost considered wanting to go on the helicopter one, like Ted Nugent and <laughs> Ted Nugent <laughs> Pigman. <Pick> <laughs> you can't watch that and be, not be like, that's pretty freaking cool. Oh, like, I want to try it.
0: Uh, we do have a question down here.
2: Yeah.
1: Hey, can I answer that one before you guys do? Yes, go for it.
0: Pip says, great. uh, says, walking coolers, is it overkill for homesteaders or needed for larger butchery?
1: I believe on a homestead, you can get away without having a walking cooler and still do larger butchery. There are ways to get it done. Um, that being said, I have four. Count them, four. Chest freezer, like deep freezers some are upright some are chest freezers and our long-term plan is to build a walk-in freezer because it's not that expensive to build you need four inches of insulative like bottom top sides all of it material and then based on the size you need to size your your uh, cooling condenser appropriately which for me I reached out to one of our local HVAC guys who know who can do this and said, what do I need to get? And the reason we want to move that direction is that I do store a lot of meat and I do butchering classes here. And so, you know, there's having that space is super cool and cutting really cold meat is really awesome Mm -hmm. because you can cut floppy warm meat and you can get it done and it's perfectly fine, but you're going to have cleaner cuts if that meat Mm. is, is cold. Um, and the other reason is that these freezers break. Uh-huh. And the number of things to fix on a cell, like a walk-in cooler, like I've described, are not that many. So yeah, I think they have be- better like long-term longevity.
0: Yeah, it's
2: a pretty closed system. So Joe, Unless you, you get a walk-in day? freezer like mine. Yeah, well, well, Every that's the other week, part. So you're talking to, You're right talking thing.
0: to like commercial butchers where it's like, I think. It's a scaling like it's a matter of scaling. yeah. if you're raising a pig or two pigs, you can get away with it. You can even get away with it without a beef depending on where you like with a beef depending on where you are in the country. but if I I think if you're doing more than two pigs or more than three beef a year, yeah, four pigs more than I four, did four pigs.
1: in one weekend with no walking cooler right.
0: I think if you're doing it at a bigger scale, but not a crazy scale, a walk-in cooler is the best thing, is one of the best investments you can do. Because Mm -hmm. you're absolutely right. It's not crazy expensive unless you go in, like, I mean, my walk-in was expensive just because of the condenser unit itself. Like, my condenser unit was $10,000. But you can get a cool bot and you can run that thing for years and it'll be perfect. The only yes. reason the CoolBot didn't work for me was because I'm in northern New Hampshire and yeah. my ACs just kept dying because yep. it wasn't efficient to run them.
1: Well, does are it, the CoolBot, it's above freezing then?
2: Yes, CoolBot is above yeah. freezing. Yeah, she's, I think, she, you're talking you're, about freezers, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so having a, a walk-in freezer, eat, like I have a small one right now in my shop. It's it's great for what it is, but not only are you you getting more storage space, um, you're right, you got a lot lot less to maintain than having multiple freezers, but you're also usually in, you know, Kyle's got some pretty nice standalone freezers that freeze quick, but with that walk-in freezer, when mine's running good, correctly. like I constantly have issues with this thing. We're replacing it already. But um, when it's running good, I can freeze a whole beef in a couple hours. Oh, and it, it's so nice. froze right yeah. down to it, and we have bread trays that use bread trays that came with the freezer actually, and as long as you keep airflow on that and then box it up after it's froze, hands down. But with the walking cooler, also like you know Pip was asking, I started out with a, a insulated trailer with the cool bot in it, and for what I was doing with just doing a couple lambs or a pig or even I did um, beef with that a couple times if you're doing it on a homestead level, having some kind of way to cool it down, especially you get down in Tennessee and Kentucky and places where it generally doesn't, you don't get a lot of days right in a row that stay in that 40 degree temperature range. You're going to get a better quality and you get that, the opportunity to age a little bit longer without worrying if your temperatures are going to fluctuate too much to have bacteria growth.
1: So the smaller scale option that I've, got is a commercial ice cream freezer yeah and you can hook that up to a cool bot yeah so yeah that works because well. what it has over like the nine fridges that are outside or whatever i don't really have nine but the multiple smaller refrigerators is you can put a whole pig in it yeah if you get a I, big one
0: i guess at the end of the day it's not a necessity necessity isn't the right way to put it it is not a necessity it is a convenience Especially if you are learning how to butcher and you're learning how to break down animals, do it cold. Like if you can do it cold because Mm -hmm. it gives you time to learn. It gives you just a more stable carcass to work off work off of. Like I have a hard time cutting hot meat. Like, and I've been doing this for 13 years. Like I hate it. I would much rather have a nice chilled carcass that I can just work with. It also kind of splits up the day for you. If you're doing Tyler down here, or Tyler over at Evergreen Farms down here, he just put another pig in the freezer this week. And when you are starting at whatever time and you're slaughtering, breaking down, and packaging two, three pigs, that's a tough day. Like, especially if you're not used to it. But if you split that up and all of a sudden, okay, Saturday, we're slaughtering everything. We're actually going to take our time, make sure everything's done completely right the way we want it, stick them in the cooler overnight, and then we wake up on Sunday, start completely fresh. And now we're here. We can start breaking stuff down. So at the end of the day, no, it is not a necessity. But it is a major convenience that will pay for itself for sure if you have like a small homestead
1: well especially I mean, if you are doing a lot of animals you know right. because I, I you can also age because i age my deer for seven to 14 days i do it in quarters because yeah. i have i don't have enough space mm-hmm. right. and yeah. and you can i think people don't realize that they think when you're aging an animal it has to be the whole animal but um Quarters on a rack work great. Like it made a huge difference in flavor versus just throwing it straight in bags in the freezer.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I actually just had a meeting with a a local farm. He does uh, regenerative egg and a lot of grass fed stuff. And we're going to try partnering up for um, business wise. And he, he does quite a bit of, he does lamb, beef, pastured pig, poultry, um, a little bit of rabbit. He's running three farms local now, but he was asking me about, uh, aging for 21 days to, to help break that down. And I was trying to figure out how to make it work. And cause you got to have a flow as you would know, Kyle, you know, in right. a actual shop, you have to keep your flow cause you get behind an extra week for that one person's animal. And it's So all up. the shop that I used to work for after 14 days, if the beef that we had specifically for the shop, when you tried, it wasn't tough. We would break the whole animal down in to cuts and leave the whole loin and rib section on a cart to dry age for an extra week. So I told him maybe we'll try that one so we get our dry aging cooler and stuff done, so I can keep the animals moving through. But just to break down a loin and a rib is only a few extra minutes that ex- you know that week. The big thing is just finding space in the freezer, making sure the free- you got enough freezer space to hold his animals in the freezer instead of your cooler. So right. we're working around playing with that. But I definitely agree you don't have to age the whole animal because that's what I told him. I said. With the way he's doing it now, on a grass-fed animal, you don't have the fat cover to minimize your loss on the carcass. I said, if we do it that way, you're going to get a better, more yield off the cuts that necessarily aren't going to benefit from aging that extra week. But we can age just as premium steaks and then put everything else into the freezer to keep everything rolling. Um, yeah, solid plan. Uh, so
0: Nicole, what are you currently raising?
1: I raise sheep, uh, as the largest animal on our homestead. And we keep talking back and forth. I keep saying, we're never going to raise cattle and tactical keeps saying, we'll see about that. <laughs> <laughs> so we have sheep. I got rid of the pigs cause I was, I didn't have a good enough setup to rotate them mm. without very negative impact on my land. And I didn't want them just in a pen with a lot of wood chips or whatever. Right. Um, I'd rather buy pigs from somebody who can properly rotate them. We've got chickens. I'm doing American breast chickens and then ducks. I have a lot of ducks. (laughs) Oh, I have two goats that are basically like pet dog goats. So that doesn't really count. But they did all the underbrush clearing originally. So they get to die here. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, me and Joe are both firmly anti-duck.
1: Oh, I love my ducks. My, my have property ducks. is built for ducks. That's the thing.
0: Yeah, but if it was your choice, you wouldn't. No.
2: I mean, <laughs> <house is actually laughs> really good for ducks, we have, we have a pond, a couple springs that flow all the time. They get to play in it. But I don't necessarily hate ducks as an animal. I like utilizing them, especially for slug control. They're amazing, oh, yeah. but butchering. When it comes to utilizing them for meat, I absolutely hate butchering ducks. I will do anything possible to get out of butchering ducks. Absolutely. Anything else, I'll pretty much butcher. It. I hate doing ducks. They are the worst thing on the planet. They, Why? they Because they, their
1: feathers get stuck on there.
2: Um, yeah. See, I
1: now Why I not? haven't
2: tried the wax method yet, so I can't say maybe I it have. will be better. It also but... sucks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I skin them. It I'm like, sucks. duck skin is delicious. I, I know, but year, it's, it's, I'll deal with duck skin, but other than that- There's the part
0: out. of it that it's like, you put so much time into these things. You want that crispy duck skin. Yeah. And then at the end of the day, it's like, this isn't worth it. None of this was worth it. I never
2: <laughs> want these things on my property again. Like-
1: <laughs> I make the a pretty with good with duck stew, I'm just saying.
2: <laughs> the ducks that we have are, they hatch like Crazy. Last year, I would have had over 50 ducks out of seven if they all would have lived and didn't get attacked by fox and stuff. But it was just nuts. Like, they'd hatch out a batch. By the time that batch was just feathered out, they'd have another nest. And our females just kept hatching them, like, nonstop. I've never had ducks that hatch babies like that, except for one Muscovy female. Those things are great moms.
1: My Muscovies have been very disappointing in the reproduction department. (laughs)
2: We had one that a neighbor, it got loose and I called her. I said, Hey, your uh, ducks over here. Cause I, I couldn't get past how ugly they were. I always heard how great they were. And I'm like, nah, I'll stick with my Pekins and Rowans and, you know, a few other, you know, Swedish and stuff that we have. And she just stuck around. She bred with the other ones and we, we processed her babies. Cause obviously they're not supposed to be fertile, but uh, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't worth it by any means. Not for me.
1: Yeah, I so, love the ducks. They're great. Uh, I love duck eggs. And yeah, then yeah. I'm perfect. I see. I, I don't have to overachieve like people who call themselves butchers. So I'm perfectly happy just to skin them when it comes time. In fact, I have too many males right now. So it's, it's time. have too many male <laughs> chickens and too many male ducks right now. So we need to do a cycle. And I don't really like how chicken tastes anymore. So hmm. I'm pretty sure the chickens are going to the livestock guardian dogs. There
2: you go. Yeah, I how think do you like the? Oh, we
1: have rabbits too. I forgot about them. They're so quiet.
2: How do you like the uh, American uh, breast chickens?
1: Ever since I had the kufis, uh, I fish has tasted. I mean, chicken has tasted like rotten fish to me, hmm. and the American breast tastes like chicken to me. So they taste different, <clears throat> but I can't do like the standard commercial white breasted big yeah. chickens like. You know,
2: right.
1: I I tried
2: raising those one year and I ended up buying um, the mixed colored batch just because it was on sale at the time and I wanted to try them. And the white ones definitely were better, but I don't think I gave them enough time to grow out when I processed them.
1: The first one we processed was at about 12 weeks and then we did another one at 15 and the 15 week one was good because they're they're smaller, right? yeah, but a yeah. lot of their meat is in the the legs and thighs. Um, that one was about ideal, and then the ones I have now are nine months old and they're kind of they're chewy like they're stew birds at that point. Mm, yeah, but the meat actually tastes chickeny to me and not fishy, so it does taste different we We will probably only raise breasts here for the rest of time. We do a chicken processing class once a year. And I was just talking to another farmer about getting like the Cornish cross that she raises. Cause that's what people want to go home with.
2: Right. So
1: I was like, I'll just buy them from you because I don't want to end up with extra Cornish cross around here because I just don't like them anymore. Yeah. For
2: as like a prepper style, say you're doing homesteading and you're, you're doing it to prep and be self-sufficient. Do you think the the American breasts are like a, like a really good option for people? They're one of
1: many good options. They, I mean, they lay an egg. um, So you can do egg. They're not bad meat birds. They are smaller than what you're expecting for meat birds. And as long as you're okay with that, that's fine. And if you want to let them get older and learn, you know, cooking skills required to make a tough bird, less tough that works. Or you just, you know raise up a bunch and kill the males at 15 weeks and you'll have you know three pound birds instead of four five six pound birds mm-hmm. and I I have not done the grain finish that causes the marbling in the meat but the meat is it is almost steak colored which is interesting their dark meat is it's more mm-hmm. of a red color and it's a, di- a slightly different mouthfeel slightly firmer mouthfeel uh, all around I'm a, a huge fan of them actually Having raised them now for about a year, just from a, a meat standard.
0: Hmm. Yeah, we're getting back into poultry this year, and I'm not looking too forward to it. You guys doing meat chickens? Uh, I haven't decided yet. More than likely, we'll do turkeys, but we'll probably end up doing a batch of Cornish too.
1: You want to sell me a dead turkey in October?
0: <laughs> you want me to drive? You want me to drive a turkey from? Yeah, that's fine.
1: I've gotten a turkey from New Hampshire before. Yeah, like, I, I buy a turkey from a farmer every year for that one holiday in November.
0: Yeah, I can make that work.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Look at that. I already oh, got one drug deal you right here. Up. Damn it. That,
0: and that, that's why, like, I am getting back into them. Because people want them. Oh, yeah. And I don't want to do them. I don't want to do them so badly. But now that we're out of beef, I've got these massive pastures... Mm-hmm. that I'm not putting the infrastructure in to woven wire everything. Like I would rather just put a couple hundred bucks into building some new um, tractors and just toss birds on it. And just, again, everything's all fenced in with electric. So I already have a perimeter to keep all the coyotes and everything out. So it's like, we might as well,
2: but. Turkeys are probably my favorite poultry to raise. Oh,
1: for uh, sure. Honestly,
2: besides the feed consumption that you put into them and you're like, uh, I mean, for, I raise a couple hundred meat birds every year, but turkeys, I just really enjoy them. Like, yeah. and for, to, for me, I think they're easier to process than chickens and ducks and quail. I don't know that maybe the larger size, they pluck super easy. They come out clean. They're quick. I mean, we can process a turkey in the same amount of time we can do, you know, one chicken yeah, with, with the equipment that I have right
1: do so. you cone them and do the slit slit yeah yeah yeah
2: do you pith do you pet them know. joe what
0: do, do i pith, pith them pith? Oh, so, basically what i'll do before i slit them is you go on either side of the beak and you open it and you pierce right basically into the brain so hmm. they're completely brain dead then cut that's that's just that's how I've done it. That's I think why that's
1: I a really it. great innovation. Yeah,
0: yeah. So it's because when I
1: did turkeys, we did thirty, and I did a class, and they wouldn't fit in the cones because uh-huh. they're so big, and so we were we had them on a um, like a butcher block, and I got beat to crap mm-hmm. by those wings. So just,
0: good. So two things for that one. Yeah. Um, take a five gallon bucket.
1: Yeah, we have that. A whole,
0: hole saw to the bottom of it and you can pull the heads right out. Works super slick. If you want mm-hmm. you can put a strap over the top so they don't flap themselves out. But yeah so the pithing, essentially if you they're upside down, you take them, open, like just squeeze the side of their beaks and their mouth will open and just go straight into the brain. Like brain dead. Yeah, go yeah. up into it. Um,
1: oh man, I'm going to try that.
0: It, it works. And then you slit them and it's, again, it's seconds like you're it's once you slit them they're usually brain dead anyway because there's no more oxygen to the brain there's no more blood going to the brain but first it's i don't know it's one of those things it's a little more humane like sec like 30 seconds of humane but it's still a little more humane and it just ends it so you know you're not worried about it because we've all had that one that you've slit. And it's just the Chuck Norris of the group that's just still staring at you as it's like. And you're sitting there going, "Ah, God, now I just got to cut your whole head off.
2: Yeah. Uh,
0: It
1: wasn't until last year that I was willing to kill any poultry without cutting their head all the way off. Yeah. For that reason, because I'm like, the eyes are still blinking at me. Yeah. So, and then Joel Salatin was there and he did it and i'm like okay i'll do it and then i started doing it that way and i was like actually it's it's a little less violent because they just sort of it's almost like watching them fall asleep. right so hmm.
0: so we've got a question in here uh tyler over at evergreen farms question best way to dispatch sheep seems like there's a few ways to do it joe you want to jump on this one
2: first for me i just i use my 22 meg usually um quick easy you know kyle uses the 410 or 45 no definitely no, uh, for <laughs> i don't i don't know i i have i have
0: <laughs> yeah sheet, see i have but it's not my go-to usually it's like a 22 or if i have the 380 on me like whatever yeah. is just closest just to the back so Basically, what I'll do is I'll grab on to the back of the neck and I'll kind of either pin him up against a stall or I'll just straddle him like on the back and it's just right in the back of the head. I'm um, sure you
2: do straddle him, Kyle. I do.
0: I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I've also just bled him. I've done that before. I don't love that, but I also, but it's also there have been like where I've had like goats or sheep with horns that mm-hmm. it's like I'm not I'm not waiting for that. So it's all right, here's a here's a rope around the horns pinned up against the side of the stall. Okay. Yep. Like we're done. We're not gonna play these games. No one's getting hurt besides
1: yeah. No harmed
0: except for that one.
1: <laughs> I've got no MPO to put on sheep because I haven't actually butchered any sheep yet oh so Hmm. i i last year i had six to do and it was three weeks before srf and they all went to a processor in that case Mm -hmm. so the best way for me to do it is bring them to the processor apparently but they shot them
2: yeah it all depends on what works best for you i mean if you got someone that's close by because i know it's becoming harder to find processors that are willing to do smaller livestock like that. They yeah. just, they don't find it worth their time. So. It's tough. It, I mean,
0: I was in that category for a bit until I just started offering a minimum of just like it's 150 bucks. I don't care if it's 20 pounds or a hundred pounds, yeah.
2: 150 bucks. Yeah. We, I think we're at like 125 for lamb and goat. It's just easier doing it that way. Cause same thing with deer processing. So I know some people down south go by weight. It, yeah. We just do a flat fee. Then you're not worried about you get 20 yearling fawns and you get one or two big deer. Now you just, it did actually waste your time trying to weigh them and all the extra steps you got to take to keep track of it. The flat fees just is easy, I think. Yeah. And there's really not much to it once you learn the cuts and everything. Sheep are not easy. bad. I think when I did my lamb processing video, I had like, I think four and a half hours total into those two lambs. That was kill, clean up on kill day and cutting, wrapping and clean up on that day. Oh, yeah.
0: We used to do when I was at the USDA facility, between three of us, we would do 25 to 30 in a day.
2: Oh, yeah. For sure. So, Tyler, I hope that helped. Shoot him. (laughs) (laughs) Or you could just. The truck them up here to me I'll do them for you Yeah, at right. yeah.
1: uh, these two guys
2: <laughs> yeah
0: I I mean but that's the other reason I hate sheep and goats is almost every time is a horror story like uh, uh, just on custom jobs especially doing mobile stuff the people don't have their stuff set up right like they don't know what is happening and just every time like I've had to put sheep in chokeholds like lay on top <laughs> of sheep and put them in a chokehold. Because it was, one, escaping, two, ramming me in the leg, and it tried to get out from behind me, and after it nailed me in the leg. So I fell on it and just, like, landed like this. So I was like, it's, all the gates were open. Every single gate was open. It was the last sheep. So if that thing got out, and even the farmer was like, oh, yeah, you would have been hunting that thing if that that got out. I was like, no, 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 no. You would have been hunting that thing if that got out. Like there's no
2: way <laughs> that's anything with custody going to the on-farm slaughters. Like we we're offering it right now because we're new and we're, you know, slower and we got a fair amount of openings. We actually just made up the new flyer. So people know that we're offering that. I don't enjoy it. I just no. did one around the corner from where we're at, at an Amish farm, 10 acre field. And I asked the guy that owned it. I'm like, are they wild? Are they tame? I want to know what gun to bring with me. And uh, he goes, oh, the Amish guy said he can walk right up to him. And when he's graining them and stuff, I'm like, if he's, if he wants to shoot it, I'll stay back. So it doesn't see me. And then I'll get in there and stick it. That works. Well, the Amish guy's like, no, I don't want to, you know, it's not mine. I don't want to shoot it. Luckily I took my 22 mag I took the 45 long colt and I took my 25 odd six. I was like, I'm having options when I go to the farm now. Oh yeah. Because, and I had to use the 25 odd six at like a 90 yard shot on something that wanted to run 10 acres in circles. So it's always fun.
0: Yeah. It's never a dull moment. That's for sure.
1: That sounds miserable.
0: Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's an interesting job. Like the amount of just random, like, um, what did I have? I had this was a couple months ago now, but it was like you would think sometimes the smaller pens are easier, but they're even worse sometimes. Like I had a I had a couple pigs a couple months ago that it was like first one, super easy. The first one's always easy because it's like, oh, this guy's got food, like mm-hmm. great bang. Like, but as soon as they see it, it's all over. And it's The pen was probably 20 by 10. And we had just gotten a bunch of rain. It was six inches, six to eight inches of just mud and shit. And it's like, awesome. And this thing's not coming in. So it's like, all right, cool. I have to get in there and like do a long range shot. But again, long range, 10 yards or whatever. But it's still like, this sucks because you're trying to hit this big of a spot on a pig that's moving and does not want to be shot. And it's like, all right, yeah, this is still this is still the best job in the world.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's Nighthawk's job here. When we did the four pigs, um, we'll just say the original shooter didn't hit right. huh And Nighthawk walked next door, came back with his rifle and was just like boom, boom, boom. Okay, they're done. Yeah. Because it was it was not great. Oh. It's
2: nerve-wracking. It's well, as, nerve- then,
1: as you said, once they see it, they're like, oh, that's not right.
2: Right. And it depends on the, the animals, too. That's what You know, the farmers always ask me, well, how are my animals going to react? I have to tell them, I don't know. I don't know your animals. I don't know how you take care of them. I don't know if they're skittish, if they're not skittish. And even a perfectly tame animal could lose its mind when stuff like that happens. It's just, I can't give you a, you know, I, I just the guy picked up the cow today and they asked me, well, what do you think's the best, you know, g- try to separate them, do it out in the pasture." I, I told him it's completely up to you guys. I don't, I don't have an answer for you.
1: To the extent I'm leaving I it up can, I don't kill one animal in front of another animal. It's not always possible, Yeah. but then that just eliminates the, the uh, variable.
0: No, for sure. And that definitely does make it easier. But again, it's, I've been in situations where that's not an option, and it's like, yeah. okay, well, we're gonna. Issue like, with
2: even my pigs, I don't have like decent setups to separate them and stuff. So yeah. I just luckily I know my pigs and I know what they do. So when I pour feed along the fence line, they all line up. So it worked out for me. I shut the electric fence off. I poured it close to the fence, and I went down through. Shot one, stuck it. Shot one, stuck it, and. I had them done in under two minutes and the other ones didn't even know it was happening until the other, you know, they started oh. actually kicking around and stuff. They circled out and around. I picked them up with the skid steer, got them out of the pen and they all went back to normal. Like nothing ever happened, mm-hmm. but I've had them where you shoot one and the other ones just completely smell the blood and lose their mind. And they're climbing fences or trying to attack the one that's dying. And mm-hmm. it just, to
0: be bad. Oh, if you ever, if you have like, obviously you've, um, done
2: slaughters in front of bulls, right? Oh. That that one at that farm that I just, the guy picked up, he had a bull in there, and that thing, he he wasn't horrible, but bulls... It is. If no one has ever
0: been around a bull when it's real pissed off, it's the scariest thing on the planet. Like, they, the scream that they have Mm -hmm. is... It goes through your soul. And I've had, I had to do one. It was my first beef in the shop on my own. It moved, or it was a steer moved at the first shot. So then it was running around the pen, like had to get a second shot in it. Um, the farmer ended up taking the second shot on that. Cause I was shaking like a goddamn leaf. Cause again, <laughs> it was my first beef and I'm like, just here. And uh, we got it out and he had a, Massive Hereford bull. This thing was gorgeous, but it it was only an electric fence between me and this. They had to end up putting a suburban in between, like us, just so it would like not be able to see. But it was just standing a foot from me, just,
2: rrr, rrr. Yep. like I. It is the most terrifying sound on the planet. My my first bull I bought as a weaned bottle calf. He was half Jersey, half Red Angus, and. It didn't matter what I was killing. If he got loose and smelt the blood, he tore my chicken butchering equipment up two or three times where he got out of, never bothered getting out of the pen. As soon as he smelt blood, he had to investigate and he would do He'd start scratching at the ground, pawing at the ground and bellering. He completely, it didn't matter what kind of animal it was. He just lose it.
0: That's and nuts.
2: it's not fun trying to get it, get a bull back to where he's supposed to be when he's freaking out. No.
1: They're big. I understand.
2: Massive.
0: <laughs> so Nicole, tell us about SRF.
1: SRF is amazing. <laughs> what else is there to say? Really. A, Al- a, F- all right, cool F- guys.
0: F- I appreciate everyone showing up to meet the critic. No,
1: yeah. It's a it's a festival where we talk about homesteading, building your own best business. Uh, this time we're going to have some sessions on health. We have demonstrations. We've got a guy coming and doing a chainsaw mill this time, oh, yeah. which will be really cool. And we, of course, we've got the defense dog demonstrations. Um, there's food, there's vendors and man, it's like the whole, the whole theme is about empowering our network and by our network i mean anybody who comes to work together long term to become more resilient because i believe that self reliance is not just self reliance like if you're going to be successful in life or through a crisis it takes a network it takes a community of people who trust each other and so we build all of that into it and there are just there are a ton of opportunities to meet people even if you're an introvert, it's a very comfortable event. Mm-hmm. And um, who do we got speaking? We've got. I've got. Well, um, this is not official yet. Can I say it? Yeah. Okay, I'll say it. Hungry Americans coming this time. Nice. Yeah. So, uh, unless something happens last minute, like I, he's already said he's coming. I just haven't like sent the confirmation letter yet. So, mm-hmm. super excited about that. We've got. Sonny bazooka talking about, um, how to have the right mindset in a crisis situation. he's from, um, he's from the Soviet union. So he was from that military and then came over here and there's just a lot to learn from him because he's seen societal meltdown of a pretty major scale, Right, lived through it, built a life, right? And so that's, that's his, his session going to be on that. We've got, I mean, we just got a time going on. It's very hard to, I find it hard to explain the festival. Cause it's like, there's this, there's this. It's, there's it's this. so
0: hard to explain. John
1: Willis up there, like get your, get off your butt and make your life better. Like he's pretty awesome and you'll have a chance to talk to him. So he's from special operations equipment. I'll be there. My presentation is Change Your Life with My Three Things, which is a book that I've been working on for years that's finally coming out. Um, we've got digital passes. It's all over at self Yeah,
0: And just to clarify for everyone, the one you're speaking of now is the Spring Festival, yeah. correct?
1: April 6th and 7th is the festival. So that's Saturday and Sunday. And there are workshops the day before. So there's a medical workshop there is the women's self defense class i don't have an herbalism one booked yet but we do have a wild edible workshop that day as well so that friday before there's a lot going on i don't know if we'll be butchering any animals this time we've done we've done pigs we've done chickens we've done all sorts of different animals over the years and i'm on the fence about if we need to be butchering something at this one or not or if we just wait till you're there in october but we do two a year. There's usually music on Saturday night. Mm-hmm. That was super fun time. this year. Yeah. Camping on site that's included in your ticket. So
2: the herbal ones I'd be interested in. I was just talking to my wife about that. Like we haven't got like real deep into the prepping type stuff. Not as much as we wanted to. More financial type reasons than anything. Um, but I I just was looking at a couple books the other day of learning more about wild edibles and herbal medicines and stuff because I told her it would be she's got a lot of um, thyroid issues and stuff like that that like I told her something happens you can't get your medication we should at least have basic knowledge of what to look for to try to help that not only that we have two young kids I'm fairly young and healthy for now but it's still good knowledge to have because you get people in your communities that might not be, you know, we take care of my grandfather. He's 80 something years old. It's just good knowledge to have.
1: Yeah. There, there's so much to learn on the herbal side. Uh, we've got, we've got a lot of herbalists in the community here. So that's been really cool. Like I had a lady to my house cause we do a meeting here sometimes. It's supposed to be once a month, but I took a few months off. And she came <laughs> out and just said, these five, Things grow here in Tennessee, and this is what they're good for. And it was like yarrow, St. Mm-hmm. John's Wort, and and I knew some of the plants and used them. But she then went deeper into it about other things they were good for. We ended up making a tincture out of goldenrod here this year, and I made more goldenrod than we could possibly use in a lifetime, and I was wrong because so tactical struggles with back issues from the military tactical redneck who lives here and he was just like really inflamed around christmas time and like having a hard time moving much and i said well try this golden rod and i said how'd that work and he said that worked too well it was scary because i think i could injure myself because it just took everything away. So as it turns sure. out, they did not make too much because he's now halfway through that jar. <laughs> so we'll last until I get to har- harvest more, more golden next year. Perfect. Or this year, I guess it is now.
2: And that's one thing, like it's so easy to find. Yeah. I mean, just about everywhere that I've been anyway. I mean, we have endless amounts of goldenrod, and I'm sure nobody's, even if you don't have it on your property, I don't think I've ever met somebody that would holler at you for, harvesting golden rod right on there stop on the picking the my road. golden
1: rod yeah, yeah.
2: stop it, stop, stop picking the thing that's gonna kill all my animals like yeah yeah but i mean with me trying to get back into you know learning more of this stuff and luckily we have a large amish community around us so we can go uh i call it the amish walmart it, this place is amazing. They just built a new store. I've been by. She had a small store for years of dry goods, but now she's built this new store and she they've got everything. They've got dry goods. They got meats and eggs in this big elaborate ice cooler system they have. They've got clothing, cookware, you name it. They have it in there for the Amish. She, the lamps and oils and different things. The you know between the Amish mall, the feed store. I use. We have. Uh, chainsaw shop. If if I leave my hill now that I work for myself, it's to go over the next hill, deal with the Amish, and I come right back home. Like that's that's as far as I usually go. I don't go out very often anymore, which is perfectly fine with me. You
0: don't need any of them, dirty English. No,
2: <laughs> just the ones that want to bring their animals to me. Right, those those, those guys are great. <laughs> everyone else,
1: I get along great with Amish people. I yeah. wish we had them. <laughs> yeah. Mennonites and Amish. I guess I have Mennonites in my background, but it's, you know, we have similar priorities. That's a very yeah. self reliant oh, yeah. community, right? And mm-hmm. so you can learn so much. Well, also, also I learned most learn. of my food preservation from Mormons, oddly enough. Fun stuff.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Nicole, is there anything else you want to toss out about SRF? Anything else you'd like to plug?
1: All I can say is this. If you're hearing this and you're like, man, that sounds kind of fun, but it's too far or whatever, like that dude right there, you came all the way, drove 21 hours to come to self-reliance festival. And he's coming back and that should tell you something. I think the most important thing about the festival isn't the spinning demonstrations or butchering demonstrations or, you know, the chainsaw mill or any of that, that's all cool. That's what gets people there, but right. what's the most important part are the people you'll meet yes. and the relationships you'll make, and it's worth the investment. If you're, if you're feeling uneasy about what's going on at the border and all of the things that have been happening lately, come to something like SRF if you can't come to Self-Reliance Festival or make it happen that you do come to Self-Reliance Festival because it's kind of like I used to go to a new country every year. And the way I got this done is I would buy the ticket to Thailand or wherever, have the time off. And then once I bought the ticket, I made the rest of it work. Like there's so much you can do to like keep things under control. And in that way, I got to see a lot of amazing places. Self-reliance sure. festivals, the same way. If you get there, it's going to open up doors for you, but, and relationships, but it's also, I think it's unlike anything else that exists out there at this time. So check it out. SelfrelianceFestival.com. We are at early bird pricing until March 1st. So it's 85 bucks for the weekend. That includes your parking right now. It might be 95 actually, but it includes your parking um, pass. We we have parking at the entrance. And then you can on site camp. We have some outdoor showers and things that people can use. So I think it's a pretty fun thing. You camped there, didn't you?
0: No, we sit, no. We, we ended up staying at a oh. hotel last minute. Fru-fru. Yeah.
1: That's I wasn't a camper, so.
0: Yeah. No, I, I decided that was going to be a better. As soon as I found out it was going to be like 40 degrees, my wife was already on the fence about being there anyway. And I'm like, we're I'm just going to get a hotel because this is going to make my entire weekend way easier.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and if you need a podcast to listen to, livingfreeintennessee.com is, is, is my podcast. We put Absolutely. out three or four a week right now.
0: And all of those links are in the description of this video or the
2: podcast if you're listening audio. Awesome! Yeah, I caught your uh, when you guys were talking to Bear. I think it was two weeks ago, last week. Yeah, I, I listened. I was still working late that night, and I have I see it pop up, so I was listening to it while I was working.
0: Yeah, you know, though the the live ones you do like on Tuesdays at like one or it's one thirty for me. But it's like, those ones always kind of like, those ones
2: always surprise me. I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot they do this.
1: <laughs> it do, it like does me because I'm not
2: used to having yeah. the lives pop up in the middle of the day and actually be able to listen to them. Right. Yeah.
0: Well, beautiful. Joe, awesome. where can
2: everyone find you? Every week here with Kyle. Can't forbid, I I better not forget to ever plug the podcast again. I won't hear the end of it between. (laughs) (laughs) All all right, we're going to go a little late. We're going (laughs) to go a little late because we got to talk about this because I was dying laughing. Um, And of course, uh, our YouTube channel, Blakesley Acres, and we're on Facebook at Blakesley Acres. Um, Email us, shoot us a message, whatever. I'm always open to chatting about all this stuff. So anybody just wants to reach out i'm good with that perfect so i'm going to do my plugs in a
0: second i do just have to make fun of joe for a little bit because it was so goddamn funny (laughs) joe was just on um troy mcclure's uh podcast the pasture pig podcast um it was his debut episode of that actually it was your first episode off
2: or first podcast not this one right exactly and it was the first week of me being co host so I was new at it. I didn't even think about it until after the fact, like we stopped recording and I did tell Troy, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm co-hosting with Kyle now on his. He goes, oh, oh, and I was like, well, it's too late now. We already stopped recording.
0: But he kicked, he kicked ass. He did so good on the podcast. It was a great episode, but the entire time I'm waiting for the plug in the podcast because it was like he, we did just figure this out and it was new. (laughs) And he went through the whole plugs and I texted him immediately. I was like, good job plugging the podcast. (laughs) And uh, Canadian farmstead who's not in here tonight had the killer line of all of it. Um, He was in our telegram group, which the link is in the the description of this video and audio for that. Um, He's like, Hey, it was a great podcast. It also makes a really good drinking game. And Joe just goes, Oh, why is that? And he says, oh, you drink every time. There's a perfect opportunity to plug your podcast. (laughs) I was dying for 40 minutes. I was dealing, my oldest was throwing up all over the place, changing beds, and I just get this text and I'm crying laughing in the middle of all of this. And my wife's like, what are you doing? I'm like, you won't understand. It's fine. (laughs) Oh, that killed me. But yeah, I just had to razz it for that because that was hysterical. But everywhere else, you can find me at at butcher 603. That is YouTube, Instagram, TikTok. Um, and we now also have a website backwoodsbutcher.com. Crazy. We're getting out there.
1: Well, you're um, moving on up.
0: Moving on up. Um, also, and like I said, the, the, tele, the link to the Telegram group, uh, the Critter Crew, that is in the description of both video and audio. So If you have Telegram, come on over and join us with that. Bunch of awesome people in there talking farming, butchering, and absolute nonsense. So if you're looking for a laugh and some information, come find us over in there. So, Nicole, we appreciate you being on, for sure. Nice to have some celebrities in here.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad I get to be a celebrity. Thanks. (laughs) You're our
0: celebrity. (laughs) All right, everybody, we will see you next time.